Hey there, back again at USH Med Student. Got uh, Connor and Ben back with me today. If you saw the podcast from the 16th of June, you heard a little bit about bipolar disorder. We're going to jump in a little further today talking about medications and, if time allows, other treatments that are used in treatment of bipolar disorder. Uh, so, Ben, why don't you take a second and introduce yourself and, and tell us a little more than you did yesterday. Tell us where you're headed after this rotation, what, what your future in medicine looks like, and uh, let us get to know you just a little bit if you want. Sure. My name is Ben Winter. I'm a third-year medical student from Rocky Vista University. Um, I, my interest is in family medicine, and so next year hopefully I'll have some audition rotations in, in that and then a, a career in family medicine. Pretty exciting. Now, most uh, students that end up going into family medicine from uh, Rocky Vista, almost across the board, they tell me that they're very interested in this rotation because they saw a tremendous amount of psychiatry in their family practice rotations. And there seems to be a sense that it's challenging, that it adds complexity to the treatment. Yeah, I definitely saw that on my family medicine rotation. Um, there is a complexity when treating patients with uh, psychiatric diseases. Um, and it, I feel like it's something that all physicians should be aware of in all the patients that they see. Yeah, my feeling is that there are so many great physicians out there that just naturally get that, right? And hopefully you got to rotate with uh, one of those many physicians on your family practice rotation. Quick question for you. before before we get even further started, I suppose. What was the thing that surprised you most on this rotation? I was, I was unsure how the interactions would be with the patients, um, how much they would be able to communicate, how much I would be able to understand what their situations were, and how much they would be able to explain their situations to me. And that level of understanding and communication from the patients was something that was really surprising to me. They, they're all very aware of what's going on with them, their lives and this, the challenges that they have in, in their lives. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I think that has uh, a lot to do with the approach we take on the unit. We're very focused on um, CBT principles, CTRS principles, a couple of other therapies. We've tried to incorporate a number of aspects of different therapies into what we do um, so that our patients feel more comfortable talking about those challenges. I, I would add maybe that some patients are more able to talk about it than others, right? There are some patients who, because of the lack of insight, really struggle. It's true, there's definitely a, a spectrum of understanding there. Yeah, very well said. Spectrum, I, I wish I was uh, clever enough to think of spectrum more often when I'm talking about things, because that's a, a great word. Um, speaking of lack of insight, I mean, that's one of the capital impairments or one of the primary impairments in bipolar disorder. Not sure we'll be tackling that today, but uh, a lot of people um, don't see the chaos coming when they get into a manic episode. And it's pretty disruptive. So, uh, Let's see, Connor, uh, you've seen the drill now. See one, do one, right? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm Connor Weston, third-year medical student, like we talked about on the last podcast, uh, and also thinking about possibly going into family medicine also and doing audition rotations in that field, and yeah, so looking forward to 
that and it was nice doing this rotation to help with those future endeavors can i ask a tough question yeah are you a procrastinator i mean you're in like the last two days of your last rotation and you're thinking about what you might go into (laughs) sometimes well i i want to keep it open just in case because we with the covid stuff we missed some of our elective rotations Uh, so another one i was thinking was emergency and i didn't get to see it so wow so that that is challenging Mm -hmm. i i I shouldn't have been teasing you. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, uh, (laughs) an emergency medicine boy. What a tough, tough field. I mean, all fields are difficult in their own way, right? And it seems like uh, emergency medicine often sees people at their very very worst, and being able to keep uh, a positive outlook on humanity, and yet seeing people who are suffering the most, feeling the worst they feel. Um, agitated sometimes, dying sometimes, right? Tough, tough field, and uh, anybody that's willing to go in either family medicine and try and and tackle that huge slice of pie, or in emergency medicine and tackle that has uh, my deepest respects. And and of course, I would say that about any field, right? right. Medicine is such a, a great a great way to have a career and and interact with other people. So, on that note. Uh, nearly five minutes and 40 seconds in. How about if we talk about medications used for treatment of bipolar disorder? And I think um, I think what I'd like to do today is focus in on the antipsychotics, first of all. The, the medications that are usually used to treat schizophrenia seem to have been found to be effective in treatment of bipolar disorder in various ways. Uh, Ben, you've been the person that did most of the legwork on this. You read the package uh, inserts, uh, which have the most up-to-date information on the FDA approvals for what a medication is um, permitted, so to speak, or approved to be used for. What what was a general trend that surprised you? What was it that stood out after you read through like 400 package inserts? There was a lot of reading, a lot of package inserts. one of the general trends I noticed was the symptom or the, the presentation that tends to most often be treated by these antipsychotics is the mania side of the bipolar disease, um, which can be, like we talked about just a little bit earlier, one of the, one of the more disruptive components of it. Um, but aside from schizophrenia, which was, the, was one of the things that these drugs treat, the mania is also the main target of the treatments. It's interesting to me that if you look in the literature, there seems to be a, a great deal of overlap between some of the emerging biomarkers for schizophrenia and the biomarkers for bipolar disorder. But I don't know why that means that antipsychotic medications would be the answer for both. To me, that's a, a mystery that I, I can't fathom. And it's a great thing to, to note. There were only a couple of medications that you found that had an FDA indication for the treatment of bipolar depression. What were those medications? Yeah, there were only a couple. Um, Cariprazine, quetiapine, um, lorazidone, and then olanzapine and fluoxetine combo, that combination drug. So most of those, I think, have had indications that have come out in the last uh, five or six years. 
as my memory serves me. I think olanzapine and fluoxetine, the combination of those medications, was approved a little over a decade ago. And we haven't had a lot of um, new kinds of drugs that have shown to treat bipolar disorder, depression. It seems like maybe that's one of the hardest things to treat. Yeah, there, there weren't very many options, and, and a lot of the, the options that were indicated were in combination or adjunctive treatments as well. Yeah. Um, other trends that you noticed? Um, the, the adjunctive aspect of these treatments, a lot of them are studied and evaluated in, in combination with other mood stabilizers, for example, or other antidepressant medications. Um, Which ones were most often the adjunctive medications? So if I recall the labels say something along the lines of approved to use with valproic acid or lithium, I think those are the two that pop up most, but maybe carbamazepine? Carbamazepine made an appearance in some, but typically it was the lithium and the valproate were the, the main two. Uh, just a, a little bit more specifically, things that will pop up on some of the shelf exam kinds of questions. So a, a patient with bipolar disorder, you have to be able to read the stem, know, know the diagnosis, and then usually what you're going to do is some sort of third order answer to that, right? It will not just ask you how to treat the problem, but it might ask you to identify a problem associated with treatment using the specific medications. Um, what kinds of problems did you notice showed up with the medications commonly? On almost all of them, the, the black box label warning was increased mortality in elderly patients with dementia-associated psychosis. Um, and that was pretty much on all of these atypical antipsychotics. Um, others that showed up, some of them had indications for metabolic symptoms, weight gain specifically, um, and then also cardiac symptoms as well, some of the QT prolongations. Uh, those were the more common ones, the more mm -hmm. serious ones. Good. And, and that's uh, consistent with what we've seen. Also watch out for kind of the staple of symptoms that you would see with any of the antipsychotic medications, right? Uh, Parkinsonism, akathisia, tardive dyskinesia, acute dystonic reactions. Those are things that, that we'll tackle in other settings and other podcasts. Um, the monitoring for cholesterol, diabetes, the, what's sometimes called metabolic syndrome, amongst us psychiatrists, there might be a better name out there. Um, there's some monitoring guidelines that have been provided by the American Diabetic Association. I'm not sure I recall if those are in the package insert guidelines um, or if those are things that we've adopted generally or if they're part of the standard of care that has evolved. Did you see anything along those lines in the PIs? Um, I don't remember specifics. I know a few of the drugs had individual recommendations for mm -hmm. monitoring on the drug. Um, some of those were drug levels um, and others were for some of these side effects. Mm -hmm. um, but the actual schedule of those monitorings, I don't, I don't remember reading that. Okay. It'll be something that uh, perhaps I'll look into or maybe one of the medical students in the future. Um, medications for treatment of schizoaffective disorder. It, it seems like, from my perspective, 
anything that says schizophrenia and bipolar in it and is just mushed together opens up the diagnosis for me to use anything that is for schizophrenia and anything that is for uh, bipolar disorder. But that's not entirely accurate, is it? Not according to the, the indications that were listed. Yeah, which medications have indications for schizoaffective disorder? The, there was two and then kind of a third. That I, It was paliperidone, which is there's an oral and there's also a inge- long-acting injection, both of which specifically are listed as treatments for schizoaffective disorder. And then clozapine also has an indication for schizoaffective disorder, specifically those with schizoaffective disorder plus suicidal ideations. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big indication. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Let me ask you one other question if I can. I think when I started looking at the package inserts, I was under the impression that there would sort of be like this magic diagnosis and it would be like one uh, bipolar disorder, most recent episode depressed, two bipolar disorder, most recent episode manic, right? And it'd be this list of, of diagnoses that are straight out of the DSM. Mm-hmm. But then as I read, I didn't see that. What, did, was that anything that you were tracking as you read? Yeah, they were, they were definitely not that straightforward. <laughs> they, were, they were a little more vague, and they, they were focused a lot more on symptoms rather than diagnoses for a lot of them. Um, a lot of them were indicated for the symptom of mania or the symptom of mixed bipolar episodes. Um, so which gives a little, a little leeway in, a little it, leeway in yeah. it, yeah. I don't remember that as much as I remember, like, I remember looking at one of the original lithium package inserts, and it said something along the lines of, to treat bipolar disorder, right? I mean, it's just this blanket statement, but as things change, there's, like, these really interesting nuances to the way that things are labeled. And I think, I, I think that the olanzapine-fluoxetine combination, or maybe the olanzapine alone has maybe one of the more interesting uh, labelings, and I, I might have to go look at that again just to make sure I know what I'm talking about. I probably don't, so I'll, I'll stop here. Um, biggest takeaway about using antipsychotic medications in treatment of bipolar disorder, from your perspective? Um, the biggest takeaway for me is that there's a lot of options, um, each with slightly different indications, slightly different combinations of indications. Um, and not a lot of guidance on which ones to try. Um, but I think it's interesting that there are options for these patients. If one doesn't work, then there's many more to try. I was in, interested in the fact that I, I'm not sure that any of the antipsychotics, I'd have to look again, are any of the antipsychotics approved for maintenance treatment in bipolar disorder? Uh, there were a couple, yes. A lanzapine and a senapine both had indications for bipolar maintenance. Okay, so that that's something that I wasn't aware of until moments ago. I think I saw that in a chart you put together. By the way, this chart that you put together is phenomenal. I think I'll probably stick that on the Facebook page so that people can take a look at that. Um, very, very well done. Mood stabilizers, let's jump over there for a few minutes. Um, Probably these deserve a little more time than, than we'll end up giving them here. 
undoubtedly I'll have other podcasts with other students that want to tackle mood stabilizers, and I think I've even got a podcast or two about uh, divalproics, which oddly enough causes hair to fall out unless you use it topically, and then it seems to cause hair to grow. We don't know why that is, right? <laughs> but we all saw the article. So, so mood stabilizers, there are, uh, what, four or five medications approved for treatment of bipolar disorder in various formats, um, and what are they? Um, lithium, valproate, or divalproex, lamotrigine, and carbamazepine. So some of these medications have what's called a therapeutic window, right? And my understanding of a therapeutic window is if your blood level isn't high enough, you're not going to get a benefit, and if it's too high, you're probably going to start getting problems, side effect problems, and maybe even something worse, right? Lithium above uh, a certain level, maybe above 1.2, you start running that increased risk of, of the, uh, the uh, very profound cognitive disturbance associated with lithium toxicity, right? Uh, Tegretol might have a little more leeway and maybe uh, divalproex may have a little more leeway as well. But those therapeutic windows are important, it seems like. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that stands out to me. And, and then probably the other thing that stands out to me is the risk with pregnancy associated with mood stabilizers. I'm not aware of a safe mood stabilizer in pregnancy. Yeah, the ones I looked at were all cautioned in pregnancy. A lot of neural tube defects. Yeah. Um, and uh, problems with uh, spontaneous abortion, miscarriage, those kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember, let's see, we should, we should probably get Connor in here to ask him a tough question. Uh, throw him to the wolves, so to speak. Connor, do you remember the, uh, the problem with lithium in pregnancy? There's a very specific heart issue. Oh, is that the... Epstein heart anomaly? Holy cow, nicely done. You guys did take the shelf exam before you came <laughs> here, didn't you? You guys really dug in, very well done. Tough question too, tough question. Um, what else stuck out to you as far as mood stabilizers go? The mood stabilizers um, were more directly indicated for, in, at least in their packaging, for the bipolar mania um, but also the maintenance side of things. Um, both lithium and lamotrigine had indications for bipolar maintenance. Again, that specificity of labeling seems to matter. Mm -hmm. What do you know about the, the way that those labels were built? Not much. From reading through the package inserts, that they do link um, or reference studies that were done and the drug trials and the, and the development of the drugs. Perfect. That's exactly right. Um, one of the things I find interesting is that lamotrigine, I, I often think of that as being the bipolar disorder antidepressant. Do you know what the studies show for lamotrigine in treatment of bipolar depression? I don't know that one. Doesn't work. <laughs> as far as I can tell, doesn't work. Um, yet, uh, and, and I suspect that's why it's not part of the package labeling, right? Um, the medications, the FDA, when they put together or 
when they agree on what the package labeling will be, the medication labeling will be, um, it's a very strict process. You, know, you, you can't just say, well, everybody thinks this works, so we're going to throw it in there. There's got to be at least two trials that demonstrate uh, proof of the ideas, uh, the way I understand things. So, um, Other thoughts about mood stabilizers? Um, the only other thought is that they're they're very closely tied with the, the atypical antipsychotics when it comes to the bipolar treatments. They're, a lot, they're used adjunctively with each other, um, which I think is an interesting thing, just combining these medications and trying to find that balance. Yeah, it, it's, uh, from my perspective, it seems like the mood stabilizers can have fewer side effects and maybe even have worse side effects, right? So lithium, mm -hmm. acne, lots of acne, lots of concerns in pregnancy, right? That therapeutic window is narrow. Uh, tegretol, and that thing will mess up, uh, carbamazepine, not tegretol, sorry, carbamazepine, because of the induction with the enzymes, uh, with the CYP450 enzymes, that is a tough medication to have play well with others. You can mess up a whole lot of other treatments when you start using that. Depakote seems to get along a little better as a player. It seems to have a more forgiving uh, therapeutic window. is used a little bit more. And yet, more and more here, we see a tremendous number of patients who have ammonia, uh, ammonia elevations with Depakote. I, I, I want to guess maybe uh, a third to a fourth of the patients we treat here. And that's a lot. And that leaves us with, uh, what, one other mood stabilizer, Lamotrigine, also difficult in pregnancy and, and also has that uh, very significant black box warning with the rash, right, mm -hmm. um, Stephen Johnson's. And then it also has something that a lot of people forget about, which is a multi-system organ failure. Or is it multi-organ system failure? I always get that mixed up. <laughs> Not, I wish I had a better, better memory. All right, so Connor, We've talked a little bit about antipsychotic medications. We've talked about mood stabilizer medications, antidepressants in treatment of bipolar. What's the data? Yeah, it's interesting with the antidepressants because they've looked at them and they don't seem to be helpful in treating the depression part of bipolar. And, and it's even been found in some studies to when it's treated by its used by itself in monotherapy to actually increase your risk of going into the manic episode so can I ask a tough question go for it <laughs> the article you shared with me yeah said that nearly 50 percent of people that have been treated for bipolar depression are treated with antidepressants What's going on? I think it's just that they don't realize that they're actually a bipolar patient. They think that they're probably misdiagnosed as just a major depressive disorder. I think that's probably some of it. I also wondered about desperation, mm -hmm. right? Um, ben and I were talking just before this um, about how most of the treatments for bipolar depression have emerged over the last few years. They're largely antipsychotics. Antipsychotic medications come with risks of tardive dyskinesia, 
that's not a small risk. They come with metabolic concerns, that's not a small risk. And uh, if you're looking at one antipsychotic coupled with fluoxetine, which was all we had 10 years ago, then desperation, I think, pushes people to antidepressants. I think that's part of it, at least. Okay. And, uh, and yet, the data doesn't really support that very well, does it? No, it does not. So what do you do then? And I, I'm not sure I have the answer to that, um, but certainly something to think about. So you also mentioned something very important, and that is that antidepressants can flip people into mania, right? Correct. And there seems to be some evidence for that, maybe less evidence that it will flip somebody with bipolar two into mania, or is there still good evidence for that? Uh, there's less likely to switch them over in bipolar two compared to bipolar one when using a antidepressant. And we're talking about a naked antidepressant, so to speak, no mood stabilizer on top. Correct. And if, if I recall correctly, the article that you cited suggested that a mood stabilizer with an antidepressant didn't seem to increase the risk of flipping somebody. But then again, the other article that you mentioned said no benefit to a mood stabilizer with an antidepressant in comparison to a mood stabilizer with a placebo, right? Right. So. Yeah. It's like back and forth. It's a little back and <laughs> forth, and yet I think the take home message is try and use something that has an FDA indication for bipolar depression. Um, we also talked about a couple of therapies. Let's, uh, I know we were shooting for about a 15 minute podcast. We're only at 25 minutes, <laughs> which, which means hopefully that your mothers who are hopefully going to enjoy hearing your voices, uh, find something worth listening to here. Uh, therapies that are not pharmacological. You looked at those a little bit. Yeah. So there were three that have usually been used or tried and two of them seem to be actually beneficial and those being the electroconvulsive therapy and then the other being the social rhythm therapy yeah so what do you know about um, treatment of bipolar disorder most recent episode manic so a mania a patient with mania uh, who is pregnant, what are you gonna do? Someone with mania, you don't use any of the drugs that we were discussing earlier because of all the problems, so you use the, the electroconvulsive therapy. Electroconvulsive therapy is a pretty good option. I, I, th I think that um, there is some evidence for use of the mood stabilizers after the first trimester, uh, or at least maybe some of the high-risk pregnancies you might go that direction, but I don't know that there's a, a way to get a lot of good data on that, right, what, what those risks are. Surprisingly, the antipsychotic medications seem to be fairly safe in pregnancy. In part, that's coming out of um, lots and lots of people pregnant on, on these medications and having children. What we do see, if I understand the literature correctly, is that some of the antipsychotic medications can have a withdrawal effect on the babies and, and uh, maybe the antidepressants can too. Um, so, so a baby might be going through withdrawal the first couple of days that they're, um, after they're uh, delivered. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so ECT, certainly one option. Um, something that's worth thinking about during pregnancy, right? Yeah. Um, social rhythms therapy. Uh, so I can forget my medications now, put those away, 
and go do social rhythms therapy and have no problems. Uh, I don't <laughs> think that it will cure everything, but it can definitely help. I think it's more adjunct. Than, That's my understanding. Yeah. And yet powerfully helpful, it seems like. Um, uh, um, medium to moderate effect size and uh, helping so, so the premise of the therapy let's see if we can get this out into a kind of right the premise of the therapy as we understand that is that sleep cycles seem to be an important part of stability and bipolar disorder things that disrupt sleep cycles like poor sleep habits and either really great life events or really difficult life events can very easily affect somebody's sleep. So being able to manage life events and sleep patterns helps patients seem to stay more well right over time. They have maybe fewer relapses, the severity of their episodes is less. At least that's what the data looks like. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Okay. Right. So the that's first question, definitely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the second version, a little more accurate. Yes. Okay. Well, very, very good. Uh, what was the thing that you found most surprising about what you read? I think that it's just that it's so dangerous possibly to use the antidepressants because you really don't want to put that patient back into the manic episode. I think that's just surprising that it can be so dangerous when you're trying to, to treat what you think you're wanting to treat with that depression episode. Yeah, I think it would make me scared to start an antidepressant in an outpatient setting, mm -hmm. which it did a little bit, right? That was one of the things uh, when I had an outpatient practice, I would ask a lot of questions about what's the possibility that this person had a, a, a has a bipolar diathesis rather than a unipolar diathesis. And those are, you know, there's a lot of hints, um, but it's still pretty hard. I think the best answer to that is not only ask the questions in advance, but also the follow-up matters. And I think more and more um, physicians starting medications are asking those patients to come back so that they can monitor the effect more closely and not leave patients kind of hanging out there. But that's hard, right? Clinics are full. You don't expect to see a patient back weekly for a month, maybe when you start an antidepressant, and yet maybe that's a reasonable strategy. Something that maybe we'll talk about in another uh, podcast. <laughs> uh, last thoughts, uh, Connor? Um, yeah, bipolar is just a lot more complicated than what you just think of switching back and forth between manic and the depression. So it's very interesting to learn about, and it was very helpful to dive deeper than I would have otherwise. It's interesting. I think because you had passed the shelf exam, I felt a little bit more comfortable asking you guys to dive in with me, right? So in preparation, I think most of these things seem mostly familiar to me, right? They better, they should, right? You guys are nodding and laughing at me. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. Um, and yet, uh, there's still some changes going on, right? We're still learning some new things. Uh, the addition of the treatments for bipolar depression seems to be a good thing that's emerged since since I left residency. And hopefully as we start to understand the pathophysiology of bipolar disorder, which seems to be a very biological illness, maybe we can have some interventions that are not 
causing tardive dyskinesia, not causing metabolic syndrome, target the actual pathophysiological um, problem more directly and help people have uh, these more successful lives. So, yeah, I'm glad you dove in and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, no, and, that's fun. And I don't know that we would have been able to do it quite like this had you guys already not passed your shelf exam. I would have felt incredibly guilty. I already feel a little guilty, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, it seemed okay. Yeah, it was. Ben, last thoughts? No, I agree with what Connor said. It, it was interesting to get go on this deep dive and, and also interesting to see hints of and like signs of things that are in the pipeline new new drug treatments new understanding of the the causes of this this disorder so i'll definitely keep my eyes open in the future for new treatments and ideas about this very cool thanks for joining me guys and uh let's see ben today's your last day of the rotation yeah uh you did a great job thank you for being uh, part of this rotation and you did such an amazing job with the, the information you put together. Thank you. Yeah, I was happy to help. All right, guys. On that note. <laughs>